0: We talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, Love Addiction Coach and Trauma Specialist. Let's begin. All right. So today on the podcast, I have the Dr. Piper Grant. Hi, Dr. Piper. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Sheena. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I am so happy that you are here with us. You have been one of my favorite people for forever. We go way back in these therapy streets and you are phenomenal at what you've done. Um, Between educating women on their sexual health and pleasure and getting in touch with their bodies to betrayal trauma Um, and now mother hunger and mother wounds. And I've always admired you as a person, as a mother, as a clinician. And I'm just so happy I get to introduce my my audience to you.
1: Well, thank you. That touches me. And that has been a journey. And we have been on that journey together. We have been in this together for a while. So even when you say that back to me, I'm like, damn, that is for real. That has been (laughs) that. But here we are. And we're still here. And we're still doing the work. And I love the work. So thank you. I'm so happy we get to be in this exchange together and all those different parts. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So for those who do not know you, can you introduce yourself and what you do? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. Okay. So I have a question for you. On a scale of zero to five where zero is, I don't think about it at all. And five is I'm fully connected How on top of your hormone health are you? If you said zero to one, it is time to build that connection. Your hormones and your cycle are central to your overall functioning and regulating your body will completely transform your mental, emotional, and physical health. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now, here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. And even though it helps for more than just menopause, Hormone Harmony is great for any horrible menopausal symptoms that put a woman's life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, raising thoughts, low mood, poor sleep, feeling tired all the time, bloating and gas, lower sexual desire... Hormone Harmony can help with all of those things. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code BGH at checkout.
1: Yeah. So my name is Dr. Piper Grant. I am a licensed clinical psychologist. A little bit like Sheena said, um, my focus has been primarily within the realm of sexuality. Um, within that, I've had some different seasons, but always really just focusing on On the person and who they are in terms of their sexual wellness, whether that be as an individual in relationship or even within community and systems in which they exist in. Um, Ironically or not ironically or interestingly enough, when we're talking about sexuality and sexual wellness, so much of it comes back to our early intimate relationships and our early intimate relationships are those in which we are with our parents. Um, And so in the last gosh, even through my own, if I'm fully transparent, the first time I was introduced to the term mother hunger was in my own therapy, looking at my own, um, toxic relationships and love avoidant issues more for me, but more like kind of that pendulum of the love addiction, love avoidant issues. And I was introduced to the mother hunger term, I would say 10 years ago, Kelly McDaniel, um, came out with ready to heal ages ago. And, uh, so as the life would have it and the journey would have it. I actually am now a trained mother hunger facilitator trained by Kelly McDaniel for well over. She kind of took a few of us under her wing and um, mentored us and trained us. And so now my work amongst other things um, is really working with women on understanding and healing that mother wound, that mother hunger, and uh, really getting to bear witness to how actually when we bring healing and change to that part of us, it transforms all relationships in our lives. It's magical almost actually. Mm, No, that's amazing.
0: And I'm very excited to have you come and talk about it because um, to your point, Kelly has been able to conceptualize mother wounds and mother trauma in a way that's really unique and distinct, especially for those of us who identify as sex and love addicts, right? So let's start. I guess, from the top, what is mother hunger or even, yes, I'll start there. Yeah. What is mother hunger?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good place to start because um, in the last few years, I don't know if you felt this, but like there has been this kind of social awareness around the mother wound, I guess you would say in general. Um, But Kelly really came out with this term. She really um, developed and created a uh, framework around this term mother hunger, and so what she identified is actually that there's no real good definitions for mother. Like we don't, if you literally, if you look in the dictionary, it's like to bear a child and raise them. And for anybody who is a mother and or a child of a mother, um, there's so much more that is involved in mothering. And mm-hmm. so we can talk a little bit about what is like how to um, define what mother is, but what she came to see is that there is this hunger, literally like a insatiable hunger sometimes for the mother when the mother is unable or has not provided nurturance, guidance, and or protection. Um, And so we can go through our life. If we had a dysfunctional, difficult, traumatic, and or absent relationship with a mother, with a mother, we, have this wound, if we kind of want to put it like that, in which feels almost like a hunger pain. You know, there is this needing, this desiring to fill something. And I think any of us that if anybody's listening and they resonate with the word mother hunger, we usually have it. I, I share with some of even friends around mother yes. hunger and they're like, I don't get it. And I'm like, that's cool, babe. You don't have it. Like if you don't get it, you, you didn't have it. But if you get it, you're like, shit, I know what that is. Um, and it's, yeah, that it's just that paying inside of you of seeking without knowing that actually what you are seeking is repair around the wound of the mother.
0: Mm, I think that seeking without knowing what it is that you're seeking is mm-hmm. really important. Because I think about, you know, one of the things I talk about here on the podcast a lot is anyone who's been in an addictive or trauma-bonded relationship with someone is really important to look at, is it actually that person that you're overattached to or what that person represents? What Mm -hmm. are the resources, the feelings, the connections that you're hoping that that person could give you? Um, and did that pain start deeper? Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if we look at it and if I was to just like dilute it and use some terms, right. Mother hunger is a developmental trauma. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
1: um, exactly to what you're saying I would agree it's like when we are either in a traumatic experience and also if you think about it as like happening at a younger developmental age right there's no words language framework understanding around it Mm -hmm. so then we're older and we're walking through life and we're like living and existing and all these things but we actually don't know we're Mm -hmm. not aware not that we don't know we're just kind of maybe not conscious at that point of like where these actions and behaviors are stemming from
0: So what are some signs that we may be operating out of our mother hunger that we are not aware of?
1: Mm, Really good question. So I'm going to start, and I kind of had alluded to this before um, I'm going to define how I'm going to use the definition of um, mother that basically Kelly also sees, and it's kind of her three pillars of mother hunger. So that a mother, um, duty or role is to provide three things, nurturance, protection, and guidance. Um, You might have lacked, we might, anyone listening might have lacked in any of those three, nurturance, protection, and guidance. They might have lacked in all three of them, or maybe just two of them. Can I define a little bit of kind of what those? Great. Okay. So nurturance, nurturance is the, the idea of to nurture, right? It's like, it actually comes from early like idea of like the suckling. Um, and it's so interesting because in my work, when I talk to women about nurturing for somebody listening, they might be like, Oh, I know exactly what nurturance is. And for other women, when I work with them and I'm like, how do you nurture yourself? Like what feels nurturing to you? And it's not uncommon that people are like almost at loss with that and or have a difficult relationship with receiving and/or giving themselves nurturance. So nurturance is that idea of taking care and provide and providing nurture sustenance. Then we have guidance, and that's providing direction. It's to guide, right? It's to provide direction and feedback and advice of how to, of how to be. And protection is allowing there to be, and protection is giving safety. Um, and it's to protect. So when we want to identify if we're like acting out of a place of our mother hunger wound, if we kind of want to put it like that, what you want to really identify is like, am I coming from a place of sacrificing myself, which would be a nurturance, right? Like, am I not taking care of myself? Um, am I coming from a place of not protecting myself or am I providing inappropriate guidance for myself? And the reason why that's a good starting place is because what you do is you kind of start assessing your three pillars of mother hunger and you're like, am I coming from a place of health in those places? Or am I coming from a place of unhealthy in those places? Now I'm going to say the tricky thing about mother hunger is, um, it's not always, well, we're on this podcast, so we can talk, we, we're going to talk about this. It's like, it's not always direct with that. It often comes out in sex. It often comes out in love. It often comes out in relationship. It often comes out in even relationship with shopping, food, things like that. Because like I said earlier, the mother relationship is the first intimate relationship that we have. Um, And that, by the way, I I I think this also becomes complex when we start talking about adoption and we start talking about surrogacy as well. And, but I'm, I'm solely talking about, was there a person who was mother to you, who looked at you, who held you, who you trusted that provided guidance for you, you know, that you felt nurtured by and protected by. Um, I just had this feeling, sorry. I just want to know, I think sometimes when we talk about this, if a woman's listening to this and this feels a little bit um, heavy, because what we do is we start talking about it and we start realizing, well, maybe I didn't get all of that. So um, if somebody's listening to it, I and it feels heavy, take a pause and you know, nurture yourself, <laughs> guide yourself and know that it feels heavy right now, or protect yourself from that. I just want to say that because I just felt that as I was saying that. Um, but what you come to realize is that like then because there might be this broken intimate relationship with mother and or um didn't receive all that one needs from mother, when we move into other intimate relationships such as with a partner, um, could be work colleagues, it could be friends, we don't know how to be in those relationships in a healthy way. And so we um, yeah, find that there might be toxic cycles and that's where we find love addiction comes in and also love avoidance comes in as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, great. That was a lot of great information. So nurturance, um, the three pillars being nurturance, protection and guidance. Nurturance. Were you comforted? Were you attended to? Were you cared for? Was there softness and care, protection? Were you defended from harm um, and kept in safety? Guidance. I think I may have missed what is what is the purpose of a mother when it comes to guidance.
1: It's almost like a role model. Purpose of mom as as guidance is a role model. You know. And the thing is, by the way, with guidance, you can have protection and nurturance and lack guidance Um, but one does not usually receive guidance unless they feel protected like I'm not going to look up to somebody unless I feel like they actually have my back you know as a child so um, yeah but you can you can lack just one of them two of them and or all three of them
0: so so you could have protection and nurturance if you have protection and nurturance it's less likely that you may be missing guidance as well.
1: Um, Sorry, if you're lacking, if you're if lacking you, protection, you're most likely not going to have guidance either.
0: Got it. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. If you're lacking protection, thank you for the clarif- clarification. Yeah. If you're lacking protection, you're most likely not going to have guidance because if someone's not keeping you safe, you're also probably not going to be taking guidance from them.
0: That's yeah. That's I mean, you're in survival mode.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And there's so many levels to that too. Mm-hmm. Can you say more? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think what happens particularly, and I, cause I do a lot of group work for women with mother hunger. And I think this happens kind of in any group work in which we're either talking about addiction or trauma as well. So like people are like, oh, mine is less than the other person. And mm-hmm. I'd like to say like no, it's just for, it, it's what happened to you. And that has impacted you. And that's all that matters. And so I'd like to also say, like, you know, when we talk about um, protection, for instance, it could be that a woman feels like she was unprotected because her mom knew that she was being sexually abused and didn't step in and do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to a girl who is growing up and felt like comments were made around her by her family or something. And her mom, you know, didn't protect her, didn't say anything, Mm -hmm. didn't have her back. So I just say like, but that's still for that little girl, whether whatever side that is, it's still like, man, I don't feel like my mom had me, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like she could protect me. So there's very, there's, there's a whole range in that too.
0: You know, what comes up for me as you say that is Pia Melody's work, who's another pioneer in love addiction. And one of the things that she teaches um, in her model is all the different types of needs that we have um, as children, right? And so, you know, she'll talk about physical comfort, emotional comfort, and all the stuff that we kind of think about. But I remember learning that one of the things that she teaches is educational. Um, support and educational guidance and I remember looking at that just being like one whoever thinks about education as being um a, a need that's provided but in talking about it and learning about it it is do you have someone who's there who is intentional about teaching you how to tie your shoes teaching you how to perform basic hygiene teaching you how to put on makeup if that's something that fits for you teaching you how to write a check um teaching you how to do homework after school or is this a place that you have been neglected and just left to kind of figure it out right and there Mm -hmm. are so many different ways there's so many different areas of provision that if we did not have access to something that I'm sure you've seen with your clients too either you become needless and wantless or you try to convince yourself that you never needed it in the first place or the fact that you need it you're being too too much, um, Mm -hmm. that you should just learn to figure it out by yourself, that you should just push it down. And you almost kind of have to learn how to gaslight yourself to minimize those needs because you've had to go your whole life without having them, right? Mm -hmm. And also, true to form, because this has been how you've been groomed to be in the world, not only do you have these first relationships that treated you this way, you have a whole list of people afterwards who reinforce that. So now it's not like, yeah, my mom treated me this way, but this person treated me this way. And this teacher treated me this way. And these exes treated me this way. So you're telling me that I can have more and I can believe for more, but that's not been my experience. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not safe. And
1: every time I try, I get disappointed. Yeah. Yes. 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 To all of it. I mean, also super familiar with Pia's work. Um, I love her. Cause she's just like, no bullshit. Like she's just like, absolutely. Like I love her stuff and I love her. Um, but I think exactly that. I, I love that you highlight, like also looking at the educational component, cause it's such a nice example to show that we don't think about all these different parts that go into raising a child. And then, as you say, as an adult to consider, gosh, was I lacking in any of these areas? And then absolutely leading to it being needless, leading to being needless, wantless, and or um, yeah, basically gaslighting ourselves. I would absolutely agree with you on that. And I think that's one of, I don't know if you feel like this, but this is, that to me is actually one of the hardest things in this work to come up against is that there has been for many people, this long history that is quote unquote confirming for them this belief (laughs) system. And so when you're sitting there as a clinician and you're like, yeah, there is potential for it to be different. There is other types of ways to communicate other ways to be in relationship, other ways to feel like, um, I understand how scary. I I personally understand one, how scary that is for the client to hear that, but also like, that's really freaking unknown. Like there's no, Mm -hmm. there's no model for that many times. Right. Well, I was actually just about to ask you, though,
0: when you have a client in front of you who has uh, reached this place where she's at the crux of believing that there is more, but because of what we've already shared, it feels impossible um, yeah. for her to cross that threshold. How do you help her or what does the process look like usually for a client to get from that lack of belief to actually walking in it and owning it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or even for yourself, if you feel open to share, um, as this is a journey, it sounds like you've been on yourself. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, I'm really a strong believer in like, um, micro achievements and micro successes. And I think for me personally, and also like in the way that I approach this work with women is that it feels like oh my gosh now we need to look for radical change in the type of partnership that I'm finding and I need to find radical change in the way I'm engaging in you know friendships because again I'm looking at all intimate relationships mother hunger impacts all types of intimate relationships and I I I I kind of I, I'm a believer that like slow it down like let's just find like micro places where you're able to have voice and I I'll use um, an example um, from I'll use an example is that like, I've had clients, for instance, and in this way, is like they had, they hired somebody to come over and help them in their garden. And when the person came over and gave them a quote and was just kind of like blowing them off for the first time ever, this woman said, actually, I don't think that this relationship, this service is going to work. Whoa. Like I'd actually kind of, I get a little bit teary because I mean, that was a massive, massive And I think that can sound like small to somebody like, okay, so you told somebody that like this, you know, quote unquote, working relationship doesn't work. But it's like we're talking about when we've grown up. Either with a mother or within a system in which we were not believed in and or given space to have our voice or told our voice was less than or told our voice was wrong or, you know, whatever it is, our voice feels very small. Mm -hmm. And um, so. To the point, back to your question, I say start with little things and start with insignificant people and events. That's my biggest thing. Little things, insignificant people and events.
0: Yeah. Hey, we hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Let's take a quick break to say thanks to this week's sponsors. So when I think about um, Black women, And the type of trauma, according to the three pillars that you listed um, under mother hunger, protection, nurturance, guidance. I think protection is the biggest one. Protection and feeling unprotected from, I was about to say almost every source, but maybe every source, every different corner from parents to society, to church, to everything else. And so if I'm going to look at nurturance, Someone not tending to me, caring for me, soothing me, comforting me. That is something that I can imagine in my healing journey. It may be hard, but I can learn how to start to practice more self-acceptance and, and self-compassion and, and self-soothing and guidance. Same thing with guidance. I can go on my Googles, I can hire a coach, I can do all these other things, but self-protection. Um, feeling very exposed and vulnerable. If I'm sitting in an office or sitting and talking with someone and talking about how I never felt protected, Mm-hmm. By anyone or anywhere, what is it that you say to that person? How can someone who is experiencing real trauma and danger and needs to go out into a world that may Absolutely. have trauma and danger? How does she start to feel protection?
1: Yeah, I um. I'm really happy that we came here because I wrote this paper. I started writing this paper and I actually wanted to present it at one of the conferences that you and I are familiar with on the intersectionality of race and mother hunger. It's something that I've been really interested in. And I actually don't think it's in the conversations of Mm -hmm. mother hunger, particularly. I think it's in the conversations of kind of mother wound, but it's not really talking about what you're, what you are really referencing is the intersectionality, not just like the mother wound. And now I'm a, and i like a black woman or a woman of color living in the world. It's like how these come together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, I think the idea around protection is very real. I think for me, what I sit there and think about is what what either brings her, what either is a sense of space, um, place, or brings a sense of safety. Because the thing, the reality is, is like the world is not safe. (laughs) The world is not going to protect, right? And I think it's not to invalidate that. I think it's actually harmful to say, um, how do you, okay, let's like bring in what what how do you like protect yourself and and to like empower her and or like falsely kind of um falsely kind of convince her, I guess, that the world is going to be on her side. I, I think we have to be real. And mm-hmm. so it's really looking at what is the sense of protection in your body? Where are those spaces for you? Because I'm thinking more about um nervous system regulation at that point, because when we're talking about existing and living in a world and living a life in which you feel unprotected. Your nervous system is so shot and the cortisol levels are so high. And so what I think about is not like, okay, let's falsify that the world is safe, but rather is there spaces, places, and people in which you can allow your nervous system to regulate? And what do you do when you're in those spaces? Do you, Can you actually allow yourself to take that? And that might be in your bath at the end of the day, literally that's somebody that I've worked with. She's like, I just feel safe in my bathtub at the end of the day when my kids are in bed. And I'm like, great. Okay. So when you do that, can you allow that to be part of your, like, can you bring that into your body? What does that feel like in your body? What do you, and can you give yourself that gift of just feeling protected and nurtured actually for her at that moment, protected and nurtured in those moments, knowing that you will still have to get up out of your bath get out of your bathroom and you're going to walk back into a life that feels really difficult for you. But can you give yourself the nervous, your nervous system, just that? And again, I guess I work in micro. I mean, now I'm saying this out too loud to you. I, I think it's about micro dosing protection essentially. Yeah. How does that sound so, to you? I'm curious.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually just going to add to that. So when I think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, hierarchy of needs, right? Mm. The bottom level is, um, you know, the security, food, shelter, and all that stuff. Right. And then the highest level, you know, the self-optimization and everything. Mm -hmm. And until your most basic bottom line needs are met, that higher stuff is impossible. So, Mm -hmm. um, even, even a bubble bath, right. Is, is really hard. So to your point, dealing with the real trauma and triggers of the world, which is it is unsafe. So what I would tell to folks listening, if it applies to you, or if you find this helpful is um, in line with this, is the first step is to eliminate connection to people who are unsafe for you. Absolutely. So identifying signs of unavailability, signs of people who are abusers, signs of mm-hmm. people who are neglectful, signs of people who are repeating the same trauma that you've gone through before and stop one, giving those people chances, stopping two, trying to fix them up, trying three, to try to be their confidants and their good influences, mm-hmm. but to start to prioritize you and your safety being of utmost importance something I've said on this podcast a lot, especially when it comes towards those who may be looking for partnership is to go towards where you're loved. Don't worry about people to people who can't see the value in you or people who are fighting with you. That is a waste of time and energy, but Mm -hmm. only to go towards the people and places and spaces that you're loved and eliminate the people who are not. And once you're doing that, you are able to, or actually what that includes too, is being in your body. So it's not just if you're only kind of looking at a list of what someone says is dangerous or not, mm. if you've been in danger your whole life, you this is how we can be in a room of 100 people and find the one person who's going to hurt us again, because our nervous system has been so attuned to this is what my trauma looks like. This trauma matches my mom or my daddy. I don't know that it does, but this is mm. who I'm attracted to once I start to figure out what does it feel like in my body when these type of people and these types of relationships are around what kind of dopamine hit does it give me what kind of adrenaline rush what kind of fear or pain and also where that is in my body now I'm attuned to it and now I know what that means so anytime I have these type of people around me I use that as my sign to it's time for me to exit Mm -hmm. and me paying attention to these types of sensations in my body gives me full body awareness so now once I can start to pinpoint what danger feels like, I can more easily pinpoint pleasure and I can pinpoint sadness and I can pinpoint grief and I can pinpoint happiness and my sensuality. And it starts to turn my body on. And the more I'm around people who I can co-regulate with, people who are safe for me, the more I can lean into being myself and the more I can center myself. And then I can start to do more if I'm not already, more of the nurturance and more of the guidance mm-hmm. and safety and protection. But it it may mean that some of us need to leave relationships or people that we've been clinging to for a while, hoping that they can get on board um, because it's actually contributing to our sense of feeling unsafe, waiting for them to catch up.
1: I, I also think that what happens though is when we get to talking about mother it becomes very difficult for people to think about detaching. Mm-hmm. Sometimes some people mm-hmm. are totally a strain and they, and or have gotten to the place where they are um, or mom was absent, or they've gotten to the place where they've decided space or cut cutoff is, is what they need. Um, because I would totally, I would totally agree with you. I think it is identifying those, all of that, like somatically where we get pinged, then being able to identify, okay, this is actually either familiar for me because it's toxic and or is uh, good for me almost because it's unfamiliar in kind of those mm-hmm. moments, right? Um, what I find, though, is that it's difficult then when we talk about the mom, because mm-hmm. there is an inherent loyalty that some people have because they feel like it is my mother and or that is not even just them. Maybe their family is putting that on them. Culture is putting that on them. Mm-hmm. Um their church is putting that on them, you know, like those that they admire maybe or look up to. So I think that's also actually to the point, that practice of kind of coming back into the body, um, knowing where you can find safety and/or not safety, putting in practices around mom that, like for instance, some people holidays, let's talk about holidays, they'll just go and still have a Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner, or a holiday dinner with their mom. If their mom is triggering for them, what safety plans do they have in place afterwards? What do they do when they leave? Do they go find people that love them and feel good to them and Mm -hmm. feel safe to them or spaces that feel safe to them um, Mm -hmm. and protected um, and nurturing? So I think, yeah, I think this inherent loyalty that often people have to the mother makes it difficult sometimes in this conversation about creating space. Even though I'm going to be honest, sometimes I'm like, this is a relationship that you should not like, why are you going to go see your mom? Like, no, it like triggers you and you're like falling apart for three weeks afterwards. Like, no, there is an inherent loyalty sometimes though. And that needs to sometimes be dismantled as well. Yeah. 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 I think,
0: I think that's all true. I've I've absolutely seen that with um, people of all backgrounds. Um, no matter where their lineage or folks are from. I mean, it even goes back to your original um, definition of mother hunger, talking about that craving and um, almost that desperation and that high need for a mother wound. I think uh, for a mother relationship with your mother. I think what I was kind of hitting on to though, with that, um, with like that extended explanation of like protection Mm -hmm. and everything just talking it out is there is such speaking of intersection there's such an intersection of where the mother wound talking about what it represents in our everyday life is so integrated in all relationships so if i'm going to talk about my mother wound as as much of as great as it would be to be able to just isolate okay i'm focusing on mother wound right now For me to unravel that, it does include my relationship with men, especially Black men. It includes at the same time, I need to unravel my relationship with society, and I need to unravel my relationship with my body and sexuality. And so um, I guess I just want to say, no matter where anyone is in this process, um, if once you start down this road, it's hard for you to single out one trauma because they're all intertwined, then uh, that is normal because which is, you know, the reason why I started black girls heel because I started, um, you know, I started with love junkie.
1: Yeah. And as
0: I, um, which was a podcast for sex and love addicts of all nationalities, all genders and everything and filled my therapy practice with black women who were sex and love addicts. And there was all this stuff about trauma for family trauma and childhood trauma, but nothing I talked about, trauma that happens distinctly for black people and especially Black women. Because of what I just said, we we can't isolate one thing because of how it impacts us. Um and so I think this is just another example of that. You know, and absolutely.
1: How, yeah,
0: how it needs to be more talked about. Go ahead.
1: I mean, I was gonna say, I mean, that's kind of when I I agree with you, you know, is that it can't be separated. Um, and that's why even in this conversation specifically about the intersectionality of being a black woman and having mother hunger, I think is really important because it 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 is integrated. I don't even think it's an mm-hmm. intersectionality. It's integrated. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think what's interesting for me, um, as a clinician working with women from various cultures, what I find particularly for black women, is that versus like, I'm just going to say like a white woman is that where I see the mother hunger wound also gets really activated is thinking about conversations and or observations of their mother and learning how to be a black woman in American society and messaging around that and ideas around that versus white women have no context or even conversation about that. Like when I, you know, that, that's nowhere even in their work necessarily, And, um, again, I don't think that you can separate that because then when you're talking to a woman, whether or not you're talking about mother hunger, although this is where it's referencing is that when you're talking to a black woman and you're working with black women and you talk about like, how did you learn about being a woman? And this is, you know, how did you learn about being a woman? What did you learn about being a black woman? And if we're talking about American society, I work internationally as you know, so that's kind of why I keep mentioning that. Um, there's so much story and learning um, and trauma as well at times Mm -hmm. in that. And so when we are talking about mother hunger um, for black women particularly, that that you cannot separate that. There is learning from mom that sometimes also doesn't fit for them either and or observing of mom that doesn't fit for them either.
0: Yeah, yeah. All the lessons that are said and unsaid um, from Mm -hmm. all these different sources definitely come together. So what is, I know we're coming to the end of time, but what is, this may be a silly question, but what is the goal of healing mother hunger? Uh How would someone know that they're on the other side of it? And that might be within the answers of protection, nurturance and guidance, but yeah, what's, what's the goal?
1: I pause on that question because I almost feel like it's different for everybody. Hmm. Um, it makes me think about what's the goal of also healing from any type of love addiction or even any developmental trauma. Mm -hmm. I would say when I'm thinking about my work, it's to be free of the burden and the stories and the shame that is not ours that is carried Mm -hmm. from our parents, you know? And um, again, I'll speak to it personally. Like while I've done a lot of healing and work, in and around the relationship with my mom man there are times where like well i'll see her and i i I mean i i think i physically change i think people probably around me even see me like you know and um there are times i'm better at that and there are times that i'm worse at that you know like or managing around that so i think it's an ongoing process we always change through the life we're always changing through the lifetime and so whether mom is present and or not in in your life the relationship with the mother is always going to be changing. When people, when women have children, um, mom stuff comes up. When women become grandmas, mom stuff comes up. When they get married, when they decide not to have children, all of this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the goal I think is to be able to, yeah, live freely of that, which is not, ours. And I see that even in my relationship with my mom, I have to be like, well, that is her stuff. That is her story. That is hers. Um, and it is not mine and it does not need to activate me and it does not need to, yeah, be mine Mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: That makes me think about, um, my relationship with my first therapist who I always talk about how much I loved him (laughs) and helped me so much. Once how I knew it was time for me to leave and how he ended up discharging me as a client. And it was a good discharge. Um, but (laughs) he was like, you don't need me anymore. Um, but one of the signs was that I started to trust myself more.
1: Mm.
0: I didn't need to, um, you know, field opinions for it. I didn't need Mm -hmm. to give permission for what I thought, you know, I have a thought about what one, I wasn't even able to think about what I actually wanted. So I needed to source opinions from other people. Mm -hmm. Then once I was able to think about what I wanted, then I needed to ask other people what they thought just to kind of get a vote. And then once I knew what I wanted, I didn't really need a vote. I just needed to say it out loud to somebody before I went with it. And then I was like, why am I involving all these middlemen? I'm just going to do what I want to do. And if I want to tell them, I'll tell them. Mm -hmm. So once I started to move to this place of self-trust, and um have building that relationship with myself which is the most important relationship versus all the other voices and all the other people then that's when i that's when it was time for me to move on that's when i graduated um that was the goal um and to your point that doesn't mean that you don't ever not need guidance or you reach this place of perfection but you have yourself which you Mm -hmm. didn't have before which is huge i
1: I love that i'm smiling so hard obviously no one sees this in the interview but like because I'm just thinking in the context of mother hunger, I'm like, that is the guide that is guidance right there. Like, absolutely. And I don't know if you have a mother wound, I don't know what that is, but um, that would all speak to absolutely guidance and the healing journey of being able to guide yourself. Got you got yourself. And yeah, like you said, it doesn't mean that we don't check in with people. It's not, yeah, it's it's not like I've got myself and forever don't need somebody to nurture me, protect me, or guide me. It's just like mm-hmm. I am okay with myself and happy to receive from others. And that is a really beautiful thing to be able to get there. I smile so hard when you tell us when you when you share that. So thank you.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well thanks for offering the space to do that as well. But Thank you so much. This has been so good. I was looking at my little notes to see if there's anything else I wanted to say. <laughs> I think I hit all my questions.
1: Yeah, I would just like to say, you know, if anybody is like um, interested, obviously Kelly McDaniel does have the book out, Mother Hunger. Um, More than welcome to connect with me. Obviously, Sheena, you are the expert in this. So, you know, you got, you got your girl here. If you're listening to this podcast, you got the best here. So uh, thank you for having me though. It's been lovely. Yeah.
0: Before we sign off, can you let folks know where they can find
1: you? Um, yeah, so the easiest would be Instagram. It's Dr. Full Stop or Period Uh Piper Grant, P-I-P-E-R G-R-A-N-T. So that's Dr. Period Piper Grant. Um, and then my website is new wellness, n u M I wellness dot com. And awesome. you'll find me. Yay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for being here. Bye.
0: for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors.